You know, just one of those days and you just go, today is just a perfect day. And I couldn't wait to share it with Chad. And we went to a nice restaurant and we sat at the bar first with a glass of wine. And I was waiting till we got to the table, get to the table. We're sitting there and I go, I want to share my day. And I start sharing my day and Chad starts critiquing my perfect day. (laughs) And that generally would have triggered me to like, Go, you know, just remove my love, remove my care at that moment and let him guess, being passive aggressive, let him guess what he did to upset me. (laughs) I just want to pause right there for all women. Thank you. I don't want to pause for women. I want to pause for men because she said what we all knew is true in this world. We've sat there. Just stop right there and listen to that statement again. (laughs) Yep. You got to bring up our fight. I mean, I'm usually right, but that's cool. It's not going to happen. Never, no way. Let's go back. Don't share that story. Hang on. Did I go too fast? You just jumped to purpose, which is you. You're a visionary. I see your connection here. (laughs) Love or work. Welcome to the Love or Work podcast. This is Jeff. And I'm Andre. I'm bringing the energy today. We're back in studio. I'm actually not that energetic, but I'm bringing the energy. (laughs) We're back in studio. We have been uh, not interviewing because we've been doing our book release and our book launch and we've been busy. Honey, you're getting to be quite the celebrity out there. Oh, no. People no, are no. asking you to come speak at things. They're, That's all a facade. You guys. have uh, Instagram lives now. You're an Instagram liver. I did do it for the first time. It was very weird. You, you, there's people Is this submitting what society questions. has come to? I mean, you're the, you're the rock star in the relationship Is we have here now. Is this what society has come to? What? Okay. Well, how does it make you feel? Like, that's ridiculous. Okay. And celebrity culture is too. All right. I can go all day, but we're not talking about that. Well, hang on. I'm not, gonna, I'm not moving it fully because I think this is a good setup for this interview. You know, I think as men, I'm a man. <laughs> I am a man. Uh, okay. I think I was talking about this with my friend yesterday. And you, what's funny is you asked me what we talked about. And I didn't want to talk about it yesterday, but I want to talk about it now. And oh, you literally shot me down yesterday. I was trying to get into your emotions and feelings. And you put the blockade up. But now on live, uh, you know, interview, you're going to talk about it? Well, I've been thinking about it. Okay. I, w- I was talking to my friend yesterday about, I don't know that this is the case with all women. I know we, are, we balance the line of gender profiling, which is not always healthy. Uh, but I'm going to say this as a man. I think a lot of me and a lot of friends of mine that are men struggle with identifying what success is in our lives. And Mm. it ends up becoming this really fictitious problem where we're positioning ourselves in relation to one another. We're posturing the perceptions that other people have of us. And at the end of the day, it's based on success principles that we don't even really, if we're in a healthy place, we actually don't agree with. Yeah, it's like not that big of a deal, but then we end up doing all these actions that line up with it. So how does that play out for you? Well, I think, uh, oh, for me? Yeah, like what made you, like in terms of our book, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I run a nonprofit, which is like, 
never enough. There's never enough money to do everything we want to do. There's never, I don't think that I, you know, it's like I, I end up a lot of my time hanging out with people that are donors who are extremely successful entrepreneurs and I don't have as much as they do. So it's a comparison thing. Yeah. And so then I, I sit in a, it's hard. It's a hard place to be. Yeah. Uh, but I think ever all the funny thing is those same people that at times I might compare myself to, they're comparing themselves to somebody else. Yeah. Or even you. <laughs> or even me. Like they would say, oh, I wish I could be serving people more like Jeff. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just this funny. It's like this funny game that we get caught up in. But none of us really want it. Yeah. The reason why I said that. So you're saying that that with the celebrity thing for sure, right? Like bringing it to that or like to what success for our book looks like or all those types of things. Yeah. Like I, at the end of this is the week we're recording. This will come out in a couple of weeks, but we're we're recording at the week of our, of our launch. And at the end of the week, you're like, well, what was success for this week? What did we hit? Could we have sold more books? Yeah. we did we do whatever like that mm-hmm. ultimately i think my marketing my my uh, success oriented mind i don't know that i don't know if any of it would ever be enough right so then you just are constantly disappointed yeah so what i'm trying to keep telling myself is to be grateful for what we are experiencing the generosity of others all that, but I'm I I'm saying real. this honestly that yeah. it's very hard as a man to not want more, and that's probably the case with women too. But I know for men, we all want more. Yeah, that's real. Thank you for sharing. That's what we talked about yesterday. Well, I'm glad you decided to share with me. Yeah. Should we get into the podcast? I mean, you're you're leading, so let's go. <laughs> Here we go. So today we interview. Chad and Robin Merrill. And uh, Robin is a leadership consultant. Chad is a serial entrepreneur. And they have been married 33 years. So they had so much wisdom. They have, uh, they are empty nesters now. And so we go through all the ages and stages with them and get lots of advice and wisdom. And I think even some of their advice uh, speaks to what you're sharing about right now. So what are the three things we should be listening for? Number one, the backup prom date. <laughs> I was a backup prom date one time, by the way. My first prom I went to. Anyway, number one, backup prom date. Number two, Disney moments with dad. The Disney dad. And number three, death weekends. <laughs> This is going to be good, you guys. I have pages of notes. You want to get your pen out and be ready because it's going to be so, so good. Today we have Chad and Robin Merrill. Oh, we didn't say who's going to go first, but I'll I'll give my version and see what happens. (laughs) My version's better. So I went to boarding school in New York. We were from South Georgia, Swainsboro, Georgia is where we live. And the short story is my school got out a few weeks before the local schools in Swainsboro. And Robin was getting ready for the junior senior prom and had a, you know, a scandalous thing happen. Her boyfriend was uptown seen at the Dairy Queen with another girl (laughs) right before the senior prom. 
So um, I became the backup prom date when a mutual girlfriend of ours <laughs> said, you know, the Merrill kid probably has nobody to go to the prom with. He could be your backup date. And so it started from there and then a couple of year relationship and uh, and then it was off to the races. Mind you, we were uh, pretty young at the time. High we, school, uh, right? High school sweethearts? So I'll, I'll jump in here because that was good though. Um, so he was 14 and I was 16. What? So, yeah, they call us something these days, I think. But anyway, um, he was 14, I was 16. And we got married when he was 19 and I was 21. So wow, we, really we young. We celebrated 33 years in March. Wow. So, that is impressive. Now, in this relationship part before you got married, did you ever have the breakup? We hear a lot of people typically, that do. Bit, you know, I went back to New York to school. Uh-huh. Uh, Robin graduated and then waited, and we both came to Atlanta to uh, go to college. So we had kind of a very long distance. I mean, this dates us and probably everybody listening can't really understand this, but on Friday nights at boarding school in New York, I would get a roll of quarters and go to the payphone outside yeah. uh, to, to call Robin for a like, weekend date. To pay long distance rates, right? This is like, anybody listening is like, don't they do that in jail? <laughs> That's like all they know. <laughs> That's so funny. That's awesome. Well, I do want to share this one thing, though. When Chad picked me up for our first date, and we went on a casual date before we went to the prom, but anyway, we went on this date, and he picked me up at the door, and then he, now, mind you, he's 14, and he picks me up for the date in a car. It's a little different. In ah! <laughs> okay. Ah. They don't follow the rules in South Georgia. (laughs) And my parents didn't know for a long time he was younger than me. So we just didn't like (laughs) let them say that. But the part of the story I want you to hear is when he, when he came and asked my dad to marry me, you know, several years later, my mom told me, she said, I knew when he picked you up on the first date that you were going to marry him. Wow. And my mom just passed away a few weeks ago. So it just was so insightful for her. And it's just a good memory that I have of her. So oh, that's, <laughs> that's sweet. sweet. That's so sweet. sweet. Now, how many kids do you have? We have two kids and a whole string of ones we claim as kids that lived with us, but we've got two boys. Okay. And a daughter-in-law. And a, yeah, and a daughter-in-law. Barrett, I think you know, got married. Yes. So, yeah. A wonderful daughter. I still think we're like 19 and 21, so I have a hard time saying <laughs> we have a daughter-in-law. Well, now so. you're, you're empty nesters. Is that right? That's right. We technically have been empty nests for about four or five years, but we've had people living in our home, kids living in our home, and we've really only been a couple of months now. We decided we had to move. <laughs> to be the empty nester that really you want to be. <laughs> so I We wanna... don't have room now. We're downsizing. <laughs> we don't have room for y'all to be at our house. Let us really be empty nesters. All right, so I want to get into that a little bit. I mean, you guys have had people live with you for, uh, for a long time. Um, you are really involved in mentoring uh, young people in all different categories of life. Um, so I'm curious, when when you're sitting down with these young, often really talented, put, huge potential people, I'm, I have a feeling they have a lot of questions for you related to relationships, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've done officially done marriage counseling or 
but I, unofficially, probably very, very often. Uh, so if you were sitting down, if we, if we were 22 years old, if we were 25 years old, we're trying to figure out if this person's the right person. Uh, we're, we're just like having all these questions related to long-term commitment. What advice do you guys have when you sit down with those young people that, that you dig in with them? Oh boy. That's a good one. <laughs> that is a good question. I think we want to start. You want me to start. Um, you know, Jeff, I think knowing what we know now, you know, we always go back because there's so much angst we could have, you know, avoided had we understood ourselves first before. Uh, and remember, we got married at 19 and 21 and, and we did not have children for seven years. I mean, that was an intentional decision not to have children for a while because we just wanted to enjoy life. But, but really understanding our personalities, our wiring, who we are and why we react or respond to the things that we do and how we react and how we're triggered would have made such a huge difference. And just having a a common language that we could both understand and not feel attacked. Um, And so that is huge. So helping someone to me understand who they are and being okay with who they are. They were created that way. And so many times we compare ourselves, especially at that age, even at our age. I mean, I think there's always some comparison games going on that helping them be okay. And that, you know, they're not crazy for feeling the way that they do or acting the way that they do. Just understanding how to mature in that instead of stay at this immature state. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said kind of, you actually unpacked two things, understanding yourself first. So my mm-hmm. follow-up question to that might be, if someone is really wrestling with that, you know, where would you guide them? And then the second second point you said is have a common language. I want to dig into that afterwards. Okay. But if okay. someone is trying to really understand who they are, where would you point them? Well, you know, personalities test. I'm real big into the Myers-Briggs um, to five, um, the five languages. I mean, the five voices with giant. Um, also, Enneagram. Uh, all those are great places to start uh, for someone to begin understanding themselves. Because if you completely can understand yourself and then appreciate the other voices, the other personalities, all of a sudden, you know, you, you don't feel like they're against you. You feel like, okay, we can fight. This is what we love. And we've learned, how do we fight for each other instead of against each other? Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I felt like we fought against each other. And now we truly fight for each other. And we know when we get in those fights and those spats, you know, they might not be pretty at that time, but we know ultimately we're fighting for each other, for us to be the best versions of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the common language thing is another one. I think I want you to unpack a little bit because that that's been a big deal for us. Um, mm-hmm. We we didn't have common language when we began. I feel like it's taken <laughs> five, 10, 15, 20 years to yeah. figure out our yeah. common language. How do you how do you get that going faster in some way? I think you know honestly meeting with people, understanding what tools they've used have been helpful. Um, And really being intentional about growing in yourself and as a couple and learning what that common language looks like. You can create your own or you can use tools that are already out there. I I would love to share this one. This has been the tool I think that has impacted our marriage the most in the past five years. And I wish we had known this back in our 20s. But it's, it's called provisional plan and promise. And 
Chad is such a visionary. He just sees things. He sees squirrels running around all day is what I call it. But anyway, he provisionally speaks all the time. But on the other side of him, I hear plan and promise. So for many years, he's talking provisionally. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to run around and do all the things that he is dreaming about. Because, and I'll t- this was huge, because he lost trust with me. I didn't trust what he would say. And for our marriage, I hid that for a long time, just when I don't trust him. And if I don't trust him, and our boys hear him, our boys aren't going to trust him or his partners or whoever. And so I would run around like a wild woman trying to make it happen. And then he would look at me and he's like, why are you doing all that? And I'd be like, well, you said we're going to do this. And he was like, I didn't say that. I was just, you know, telling you what I was thinking. That is so true. I mean, that's definitely true with Jeff and I. We talk about the idea man and the planner, you know, so He's just spouting him out just just because that's what he's doing. Come Never, on, it's fun. It's ne- fun. Yeah. Dreaming, right? It's on. just dreaming. Never imagining that it would actually come to life while I'm like stressing, sweating, you know, freaking out about money and, you know, losing sleep at night, imagining how yeah. we're going to make this idea happen. Meanwhile, he's like, what idea? What, which one are you even talking about? Like he, he literally forgot it the next day, you know, I, so much stress for nothing. Chad, what uh, were you going to say about, uh, some of the things that you counsel couples about? Yeah. So I think kind of related to that is, um, kind of finding, not getting your value and your joy out of, you know, your spouse or your partner or whatever the case may be. And, you know, a lot of times you hear that from a faith perspective or from other kind of psychology, but we were in a small group at some point early on. And it was, I mean, the premise goes that way at work with employees, with partners and other things. If you get your value from someone else, they're always going to let you down, you know, whether that's communicating differently, you're planning and sweating and you're having these great ideas or if it's getting your affirmation of how you feel about yourself from someone else. Mm-hmm. So kind of related to that, it's like have your own passions, be your own person, and then hopefully you find common passions together also. But, you know, you have to embrace, you know, Robin's in the projects that don't really inspire me as much oftentimes. And I am also, but I can support her and hers. And then we have a lot that we kind of come together on. But I think it's mm-hmm. be individual, but you know, be together also. Yeah, I like that. I think that we come in with a lot of expectations, don't we, on our partner mm-hmm. to, I mean, you know, to complete us, to this for us, to, you know, almost be our everything. And we put a lot of, uh, it's like unrealistic expectations that nobody, no matter how much they love you, are going to be able to fulfill for you. Yeah, and that's what but we all love, like the Jerry Maguire moment. Yeah. Like, you complete me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we swoon. <laughs> yeah. So is that something, Chad, that you had to personally kind of come to a realization in? How, how did you come to understand that? I think so. You know, being a uh, NFP and an entrepreneur my whole life, you know, we started our first company in college and have, have been that way throughout. So, you know, personally, I got not only from Robin, but really from others and still do to a certain extent. I have to remind myself that 
you know, my identity came a lot from business success or the success of the project or whatever the case may be, which is all kind of external people affirmation. And it's also exhausting to mm-hmm. have your mood and how you feel be based on how everybody else sees you and uh, the affirmation that you get. And certainly in a relationship. And it's obviously immense pressure to put on a spouse also that how I feel is going to be based on how you kind of value or see me. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. Let's let's get the next level of advice. So you've done like we're talking about kind of like premarital slash beginning marriage. What if somebody does not have kids yet and they are just wondering, like, is this how, you know, is this the next step? Should I do this? What do I, how do I know it's the right time? You know, what are, what are some ideas or what are some counseling points that you talk about with that, that stage of life? Hmm. (laughs) that's a good question I think at at some point you know you can plan all you want around having children but sometimes that's just going to happen without you planning (laughs) yeah (laughs) well y'all y'all you said you purposely waited what seven years right okay and you said that was intentional so that that was a decision for a reason what why why did you all choose that well first of all because we were like barely out of high school yeah there you go you know a little bit of maybe it'd be a good idea to get a job, you know, or you know, <laughs> figure out what we're going to do. Then there was like, let's get to know each other. Let's, I had gone to high school in New York, so I had this real propensity to want to like get up and travel and, you know, things like that. And so there was some. And then also your mother, his mother, loved his mother. She said, I'm not ready to be a grandmother yet. So after six years, she goes, I'm ready to be a grandmother. <laughs> Always that pressure, the mother-in-law pressure. Oh, but we love her. But I think there's also, again, going back to wiring, being that kind of firing kind of person oftentimes, or ENFP, just trying to get out there, is um, um, I'm probably too quick to rush into things. and But I think our whole society now has really gone way away from marriage or commitment of any time, you know, mm-hmm. not as a, not necessarily as a social, a political, a marriage, a faith or anything else, but just kind of in general. I mean, we hear a lot about that with, uh, you know, teenagers now and, and others that it's, uh, whether it's committing for a job, committing. And so I'm a little bit more, hey, at some point you got to jump in mm-hmm. and, uh, and make a decision and you're not going to get everything perfect. Yeah. So if you're going to wait around for perfection, you'll never have a partner, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Robin, you said you were talking earlier about trust and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, it sounds like there, there's been seasons where trust has not been at the highest level, right? right? And you had to both probably regain the trust in each other. If there's somebody listening right now that is in that tension, mm-hmm. they just, it, it was funny. You're And, and I, I actually really appreciate you sharing vulnerably about the trust that you had, and it, it was related to his ideas, which is just, it's it, it just, I think Andre can probably relate at a deep level. Um, yeah. If you're in the midst of trying to regain trust, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you rebuild that? How, how do you come together to, um, yeah. What did you guys learn along your journey? Well, I think for me, um, like I said, I hid that for a long time. And when you hide something, you become bitter, you know, with that. 
and whatever that might be, whether that's unforgiveness or anger or, you know, self-hatred, whatever that looks like, there's, when you hide something that turns into something you don't want it to. So the quicker you can be vulnerable with your spouse or your partner, you know, and, and let them know, Hey, I don't trust you because of this. This is what happened. Ultimately, I trusted Chad as a person. I just couldn't figure out. I love him. I trust him. But why don't I trust him when he says these things? And so I had to really grapple. um, Definitely a lot of prayer around that. But also, finally, I had to share with him at some point, you know, that this was an issue for me. And so being able to have those conversations, um, you know, in anything, it's communication. Mm -hmm. It's being able to share, but it's also been able to receive and being open to, okay, how do we work through this? And, and then making sure you actually work through it. Yeah. And I think Robin has something that I've heard her say literally hundreds and hundreds of times when talking to other people, but then we have to remember it also. She, she has a saying that, you know, we attack problems, not Mm -hmm. people. And she even has a graphic when it's a tough situation, whether it's an employee situation or a relationship. And she literally does, you know, the Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift heart sign. And it's like, you've got to take your heart target off of your chest and, you know, move it out here because I'm attacking the problem or the problem in our relationship or the problem. I'm not attacking you. Mm -hmm. I'm attacking the problem. And if you, if you think about that, and, you know, just going back to Lil Myers-Briggs, if, if you're a thinking personality, you know, someone that, you know, logically thinks through their decisions, they're going to put their target over here every time. And, and, and that, those are the people that you hear behind the door yelling at each other. And all of a sudden they come out and they go, let's go get a beer together. And you're like, what? I thought, you know, you're going to kill each other a minute ago. But if you're a feeler, someone that bases their you know, decisions on being in someone else's shoes, they're going to put it over their heart and all their ideas, all their passions sit right here. And if you start sharing or critiquing their ideas or passions or asking clarifying questions and they're not ready for it, it hurts. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we're talking, we're like, okay, can we take our issue and put it over here? Because we need to really work through that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. like when emotions are up and you're in the, you know, when emotions it's so are easy. High. It's so easy to bl- to do this. You know, I'm like, I'm like blaming it, it, the, and pointing at right the now. other I'm like person pointing that it was they did. You did that. You did, you know, but that's interesting. Even so, I think it's interesting, even with what you were saying about trust, is that if you're taking that as a problem, you're saying, because I think that's hard to hear, right, Chad? Like her saying she doesn't trust you. So how do you then take that not so personally like, well, then I'm I'm bad. I'm an untrustworthy person. You know, I'm a mm-hmm. not trustworthy person. Like, I, I think that's really hard to do. Like, how did you take that, what you heard from Robin, and then transform that or make changes or whatever that is. Yeah. So honestly, not really well at first, right? Because <laughs> uh, it did it, feel like an attack, right? It is. And, and, you know, honestly, in the early years, it probably was an attack. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you uh, kind of walk yeah. over time, but it's, it's, um, 
it's kind of like the cliche says, you know, I don't know if it's like the Henry Cloud thing or somebody else that, you know, you build trust in drips and then you lose it in buckets. Oh, you know, wow. You know, it takes a long, sustained time to build trust, but you can really wipe it out, you know, really quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think what happens over time, communication and all the things that we were talking about is if you have that drip, 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 and, you know, it applies to parenting. And I really wasn't good in the first part of parenting this. You know, I wanted to have the Disney World moments. And you think, <laughs> hey, I can be absent every day for homework and at Little League games for a month at a time. But then we'll go to Disney World. Yes. And, you know, and I think your spouse is a little easier to see maybe with your kids. But it's like, you know, you've been gone for a month. You, you can't show up and do Disney World for the weekend. And mm. You know, I think in a relationship to parents and guys are probably this way more than girls, I'm sure. It's like you've got like the passionate weekend and then you're emotionally checked out, you know, for the next, you know, 10 days. And mm-hmm. probably men more than women are like, you know, what's the problem with that? But, you know, it's, uh, you know, over time, it is the trust in buckets, the communication in buckets. You can't do it in a marriage retreat weekend and go back and, you know, go to the same thing. I think that's where the tools come in because, you know, it, learning about myself, like I said, I've become very self-aware in the last few years, but one of the things that's been huge for us, like we went on a date night and I had had, do you ever have just a perfect day? You know, just one of those days and you just go, today is just a perfect day. And I couldn't wait to share it with Chad. And we went to a nice restaurant and we sat at the bar first with a glass of wine and I was waiting till we got to the table get to the table. We're sitting there and I go, I want to share my day. And I start sharing my day and Chad starts critiquing my perfect day. (laughs) And that generally would have triggered me to like go, you know, just remove my love, remove my care at that moment and let him guess, being passive aggressive, let him guess what he did to upset me. Okay. I just want to pause right there for all women. And Thank you. No, no, no. I don't want to pause for women. I want to pause for men because she said what we all knew is true in this world. We've sat just, there before. Just stop right there and listen to that statement again. <laughs> Just to say it out loud is so good. It's so good. Okay, keep going. Keep going. What I did in my mature self, I said to myself, I'm going to take just a second. I'm going to breathe. And I did. And I turned to him and I said, This is literally what I said, honey. This has been a great day and a good night so far. And if you want it to be an even better night, Hello. then I would suggest you start caring for me and just listen to my day. Wow. And you know what? He didn't say anything else. And I smiled, I shared my day, and we had an amazing night. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm serious. It's like that little thing is so true, can trigger you and literally ruin the rest of the night. Yeah. And ruin your yeah. date, ruin everything because you've been triggered in a way that sets off a negative emotion and you're ready to either defend or fight back, you know? So I love that. 
So yeah, it, I I, I, I want to just kind of save this whole little thing. <laughs> just save it a little bit. And maybe, Matt, replay, can, replay. can you get that to us? Like, can I have it as a ringtone or something <laughs> that we could just kind of, at the right time, bring it out? You know. <laughs> That's good. Okay, so you've been married for 33 years. I'm sure in each phase there's been things you've learned. What are you learning now? Like, do you keep, are you still... Are you still learning things about each other? What's what's been the latest kind of thirty-three years in a marriage, which we're fifteen years away from? Oh, wow, Ooh. we're so far away. What do we have to look forward to? Well, we we are definitely in a, a way new phase, and mm-hmm. not only the kids going away. And you hear it really cliche, and a lot of times is that you know you really better get to know your spouse because when the kids go, nobody's left but you two. You know mm-hmm. you. Can't, go watch the ball game or go do whatever you do or go ride it back with the kids. It's just, there's going to be a lot of silence in your house. Right. There's no distractions pulling you away from each other. That's right. And, you know, we're real proponents of uh, continuous growth and learning and mindset change. And so we're in the middle of doing that now. I think some because we're emptiness, but some because it's like, all right, we've got to restart with something fresh. So we're, we're moving, we're, selling our stuff. We're, you know, moving to a different side of town that's pretty probably contrarian to where most people, you know, our age are thinking about going. And a big part of that was like, hey, what's like the next level of not only our relationship, but like our own personal growth? Where are we going to find kind of the next thing to do? So, Mm. you know, definitely having hobbies together, common passions, whatever that may be. And, And we've got a lot of individual passions, but then we do have a few that are together. And one of those is definitely the kind of quest to to grow and learn more and see new things. Mm -hmm. I love that, that continuous learning. I think we need to jump back into parenting because I feel like they have a lot of good stuff. (laughs) You you jumped ahead. I was going in like a sequential order. Yeah. And I'm just kind of, I'm just peppering going in and out. You're ruining my flow. Don't Yo. worry. Um, I'm, I'm so used to the Jeffs of the world. Chad or husband Chad right there. Common spirits. They're about the same. I'm like trying to go in sequence. Yeah. yeah. It's okay, babe. I still love you. Uh, so in my sequence order, now we're into parenting. Mm-hmm. So I really loved what you were talking about, Chad, with the being absent and then showing up and thinking that that's going to be great and be fine with the kids. Is that how did you learn that for you? How did you was it Robin that was saying it was your your kid? Like, how did you realize that that was not working? And then how did you make a change or change that? Yeah, so that's a, I think it was a real continual process. I, I think that Robin saw it a lot before me. And I said, I've been entrepreneur my whole life. So I've been self-employed most of my life. We've had probably 15 or 20, maybe closer to 20 of the times we worked together in some form or fashion. But we were a little bit traditional, not right or wrong, but it was, oh, Robin, stop working, stay home with the kids for a period. So that was a five-year, six-year period of that. And I think that becomes enlightening when you're both working and co-parenting, you see things one way. But then there was a little bit of that mind shift that, hey, I'm out doing the, you know, the man things and she's home doing the you know, the household and parenting thing. And, and that's, you know, really, really false narrative. It certainly is today to even begin with. I probably get shot by a lot of your listeners by even saying that because that's 
less of a cultural norm today than it was 25 years ago. Our oldest is 26. So it was, uh, you know, looking at my parents and my grandparents, that was the cultural norm. My dad was never home. My mom did everything in the home. And so you kind of learn from that. But I, I think it was back to her trust kind of things when she would tell me that the kids love you, but they don't really trust what you're saying. You know, when they, when you say, hey, we're going to throw the baseball tomorrow or we're going to go learn to ride a bike on Saturday and then tomorrow comes around and you work late or mm. Saturday comes and I'm not a golfer, but you're like, oh, I'm going to play golf with my friends. And, you know, that was very impressionable to your five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids. And so it took some tough and kind of hurtful conversations to realize that, you know, you're not building the trust bond with your kids. It's one, you think you are because um, you're doing the Disney World moment. And, and it's like, you know, hey, let's go do the big thing on Saturday, but I'm not going to be here all week. And um, so there was a lot of learning there. And I think it was much more me and, you know, Robin being able to just directly tell me, uh, you know, you want to be this kind of father, but you're kind of really not. Um, mm. And I think something he just said right there at the very end, you know, as spouses, we know, we really do know each other. We know our, you know, desires and our passions. And, and I knew, I really knew his desire and what he wanted to be as a dad. It, it, I just didn't see it happening the way that I knew he wanted it to happen. So having those conversations around, I know this is who you are. So calling him up instead of out is really huge. Calling him up to be the best father that I knew he wanted to be. I mean, there was plenty of calling him out on the mat sometimes, but really trying to call him up to be the best father I know, you know, that was in him. Hmm. That's good. So how did you, Robin, do with your, I mean, it seems like you guys have had both moments of both working, but also moments, Robin, where you've been home with the kids. How uh, did you transition in those times and feel about those different, you know, seasons of life for you? Like, did you like one more? Did, was one more impact? You know, what, what did you feel guilt? Like, how, how has that been for you in those different transitions? You know, um, I mean, you may see something differently than what I'm about to say, but honestly, I loved every part of our life. Like mm -hmm. there, you know, transitions may be a little bit, you know, funky at times, but in the long run, I loved working. I loved, you know, most of all the situations we were in as far as businesses. I love being at home with the kids when I had that opportunity. I was like, we're from South Georgia. So Atlanta, I now can experience all these awesome, amazing things in Atlanta with my kids. So we were always going and doing something, whether that was serving or experiencing. I was like, we made the most of, of our time. I made the most of the time with the kids when I had them home. But when it was time for me to go back to work, you know, Christian was middle school, Barrett was high school, you know, that was a little bit of a tougher transition coming off of being at home for several years. But, you know, it worked. And I think the kids really enjoyed all parts of it. Mm -hmm. um, I think the transitions were tough. Having a baby and going back to work. Yeah, so we did the daycare yeah. thing when, you know, our oldest was a baby. So that's, that's tough for any parent, yeah. right? And, a mother. and then leaving who you are in work and, and having a career 
was a difficult transition going the other way. I think that was probably when our second was born. So it probably been about three years of uh, three or four years of daycare. And then there was about a five year period of just being home all the time. And then it's tough. You know, she went back to work in a really difficult economy because our conversation was, hey, I'm self-employed. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay the insurance bill next month. And we can't pay for the kids to go to that, um, you know, school and after school program that we're doing anymore. And so that was a pressure time to leave being room mom. Mm. And she went to work at Emory Hospital. And so back at work at 730 in the morning. So that was a tough kind of transition out. And then um, then it just kind of got better and better a few years later when we started kind of working together again. But uh, they, they were they were tough transitions for sure, and I really empathize. Um, even though we were one for a lot of the time, but the two two working parents puts a lot of stress on, and the women do feel much more of the blunt of that, right? It's the expectation to be mom and you mm-hmm. know career person as well. So talking about you know the transitions, like talk, going back to common language, we use what we call the five gears. And women typically, there's the fourth gear, which is task mode, where you're just multitasking all the time. And I really felt this at work. I was always you know task mode at work, but when I came home, I was task mode at home, getting lunches ready, making sure homework was done, the laundry, all that stuff. So I lived in gear four, which is task, instead of reminding myself that I needed to take care of me and getting into some just recharge mode, some recharge time, because that's where I felt guilty. I didn't feel like I had time to take care of me. And so learning that that's important to do every day. And, and, you know, I'm not sure that I figured it out well then. I know it now, but I didn't have that language at the time. So women, especially men do too, but we all need to get in that recharge mode at some point during the day. I, I, uh, you know, watching the two of you and how you live, there's, there's something that I have admired about the two of you and, and and on a peripherally just seen, seen it firsthand. And it's, you guys have this value of your home. You probably have language of what it really is, but your home is meant to host and for others and to be open to other people. So, uh, sometimes that looks like, or the way that I've looked at it, I've seen you have people live with you. I've seen you host massive parties at your house, maybe every night. I don't know <laughs> when it ever stops. Or, or third, even in your backyard, you guys built this um, labyrinth experience. Uh, and, you, and you would even say people would just, random people show up in your backyard and they're doing these kind of prayer walks in your backyard. And it's like, interesting. I'm curious, what's the value you guys have there? I don't know what you guys call it together. And unpack that. How did you get to that place where that was um, really important to you? So I think that Robin always had a high value in just hospitality, if you put a put a term on it, of uh, gatherings and things like that that probably came from her childhood, you know, more so than mine. And then me, as a how I identify and how a lot of people identify me is kind of a connector. It's like, hey, let's get people together and do things like that. And somehow the blend of that became uh, uh, one of those. And, you know, sometimes maybe for the right or wrong reasons, there were things that I wanted to connect because I wanted to meet people to work with or, you know, to do business with. And Robin wanted to connect couples and people in the neighborhood to get together or wanted to make sure we knew all of our kids' friends. So it's like, you know, let's have the 
basketball party at our house or let's have the, you know, be the room mom or the Cub Scout mom or whatever the case may be. But I do think that we found that we really enjoy hospitality and, and connecting with people. And so you're right. I mean, we've had, I can't remember exactly, but probably over 20 people that have lived with us for, call it more than a month. And, and these four or five that were up to three years um, at a time with us. And most of these guys were, I would call it, age 15 to 21 or two, um, that kind of age bracket. A couple of them, we kind of had guardianship of some kids during some, some times. And then, as you said, from the big parties that are super fun and social, the things with kids to, you know, we had a funeral for 250, 300 people in our backyard back in the, on that deck before. So we've kind of kind of run the gamut. And that's become a little bit of who we are. It's just a, uh, it was probably a better word or a new, uh, a new 2020 word than hospitality, uh, <laughs> but I don't know what it is. <laughs> you know. Well, Chad, will you just share, because I think this might be interesting. Share about when we were in our 20s and you took me um, on our little personal retreat to decide what we wanted to do before we died. Yes, we did a very <laughs> few. That sounds really encouraging. That's a little morbid. For, for, hey, let's get away and talk about death. <laughs> you know, it really is a really interesting process. It's funny how this came up. But I was in a business owners group that had a speaker, and I really took it to heart. And so, to really paraphrase a long story, his suggestion was go away. This could be individual if it's just you or you know a couple, and really start thinking about your future. So day one was just a super fun a thing that Jeff would love. It's like <laughs> write down everything you want to do before you die. So. You know, I had things like travel to space, you know, and, and, and things like that. But then day two was really hard. It was now imagine you've just been told you've got 12 months to live. Take that list and what are you going to do over the next 12 months? And, you know, you can kind of tell the, the kind of output of that is meant to kind of help you orient, you know, what are the priorities in your life that you want to be known about? And, you know, family comes up and things like that. Friends come up, you know, what's your legacy? What are things you want people to know about each other, but not? And so then that became a real staple of, um, again, I hate to keep using the word, but staple of kind of hospitality or gatherings. And whether that's kind of little two by two couples or whether that was, you know, led Robin to be a, a youth pastor for a season of four or five years, which meant tons of gatherings of six or eight people you know, at our house, sometimes 60 or 80, but it, it became, Hey, we want our family to connect. We want our friends to connect. We want to connect with our kids. And, you know, when they're middle school and high school, the way you're going to connect with your kids is be the cool place that their kid friends want to come over. So, you know, how do we do movie night and, you know, stuff like that. So that became a real defining, we thought hospitality and connection was one of the things that was a priority. I love it. I'm, a, I'm over here right now trying to figure out our weekend, babe. Oh, this boy. is going to be good. <laughs> Oh boy. You're going to get an invitation on Google Calendar. It's going to be called The Death Weekend. It's going to be really romantic. It's going to. Oh, Lordy. No, there is wine and cheese and things like that can be a part of the Yeah, right. Now, if I just change the term, though, to like bucket list weekend, Andre would be like, we are AAC is in. Okay, we'll do that. Uh, well, I think you guys are also hitting on a good another discussion because you have um, just counseled and been around so many teenagers. I think you have a lot of wisdom in this area 
for those parents listening that are in the tumultuous <laughs> middle school, teenage, high school years, what is something that has been really helpful that you have learned that you could um, share with our listeners? Let me start. Anyway, tell a story. Because oh. hang on while you're still thinking, because these two have raised incredible incredible humans. Yes. Uh, and we trust them. I had the opportunity. Uh, one of their, one of their uh, sons interned with us for a summer. He's an incredible human. Yes. And is living, honestly, like living what we are talking about on this podcast. Right yeah. Now. So how, what's the magic? What's the secret? How do you do it? Well, you know, there are no books, really. Mm. There's a lot of books, but you just have to love it. <laughs> there's a lot of books, but <laughs> there's, there's a not. Lot of books, but you just have to love it. I'll share a couple of little things that might be helpful. And then I'd love for Chad to share a story. Um, so two things that I would highlight. One, um, being a youth pastor and working with a lot of parents, you, you see things that you go, Oh my gosh, that's not working. Or yes, this is working. The one thing I really encourage people to do is not get into the drama of your kids' lives as far as dating, as far as friendships. They've got to experience some of that. And you're there as a sounding board, but you're not there to get, you know, in the intricacy details of some of those things. For example, when our oldest son was dating and he would break up with someone or even our youngest son at that point, I still loved the girls, you know, and I still cared for them because, you know, who, I mean, besides Chad and I, maybe a couple other people on your podcast, most people don't get married in high school. Okay. Right. So, right. <laughs> so just know there's going to come, there's going to be ebbs and flows of some that. And that's a general statement. I know there's a lot of details involved, but I just saw so much of, you know, teenagers are drama driven and we need to be a safe place and a sounding board of, of advice, of wisdom for them to come to, but not to get dragged in because parents against parents is devastating and it's just childish. Okay, that's one. The other thing is, it's an analogy I, I love to use, is what wall are you putting the ladder on for your child? And a lot of parents put the ladder on the wall of education and success and, you know, moving up that ladder. And, you know, the wall I prefer to put the ladder on is the one of, how are we teaching our kids and living into faith with them? How are we helping them to see the world and how do you engage with that world on different levels, whether that's serving with serving or if that's just being a friend to someone, what does that look like? And, you know, and Chad and I really just said, we're going to put the ladder on the wall of we want them to know who they are in God's sight. We want them to know who they are and, and how to be a really active, loving, productive, you know, member of the community. And when you help them know how to make decisions or teach them how to make really good decisions, then you know what? The wall of education and success will be there for them. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I, and I, I would add to that and say uh, a little bit slightly different or something that people may relate to also is... Um, leaning into their strengths. Yeah. You know, we, we 
struggled a bit when, you know, C's came home on the report card or the occasional D or even worse, but then, and really encourage parents to really lean in to embrace the strengths versus, you know, it's kind of that 80-20 rule. You spend 20% trying to correct the, or 80% of your time correcting the 20. It's like flip it around, spend your 80 leaning into the strength. Um, you know, we had a kid that was very middle of the road academically, but really strong in uh, leadership and athletics and et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, let's lean in to what you're good at. And you know what? It's okay if you make C's. And, and he, again, he was just, we had a couple, we had lots of folks we talked to that sports analogies work. And it's like a great John Wooden quote that I love for life. And he was a sports guy. And he's like, give your best. Only you knows if you gave your best. Mm -hmm. And if you think you gave your best and a C is it or an F is it or whatever, any other analogy in life, that's fine. But it's like try your hardest with your God-given abilities and give it your all. And only you knows that. Mm -hmm. Your teacher can't know that. I can't know that as a parent. And mm -hmm. feel good about that. And sometimes you have to be careful. It's a bit manipulative because I would usually say, did you do your best? <laughs> and it's usually a... Uh, Man, Chad's quoting John Wood and they call me coach. Chad, Come on now. One of my favorite books of all time. You're speaking Jeff's love language. I mean, it's a good book. You are it's like leadership with Wooden. <laughs> uh, maybe. You maybe. have a, a slight obsession. I think he started in Michigan, wasn't he? Didn't he grow up in Michigan? Most he, great humans start up Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You guys, this has been amazing. I have so many notes. I think it just shows. You guys talk. You're investing in so many people in your lives. And it just kind of oozes out of you the the vulnerability that you have. But there, you're also just putting in the work, like the mm -hmm. internal work, the growth yeah. mindset. I mean, we love that. Last question. Is it possible to change the world, stay in love, and raise a healthy family? I would say absolutely. And the one word I can't believe I used all the time, which is a big mantra, is the it takes intentionality. It does. It's not going to happen by accident. Mm -hmm. You have to be intentional in, in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. What about you, Robin? Oh, I absolutely agree too. But, you know, um, you have to believe it. You have to believe you can do that. And, and when you believe it, then you will see it happen. So, yeah. Absolutely. And we've seen it together and you do it through the ups and downs too, by the way. It's not perfect. You can change the world one person at a time, one project at a time, but you have to believe you can make that happen. And now it's time for the breakdown. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I'm like looking through two pages of notes and trying to figure out which one I want to talk about because there is a lot I want to talk about. But what did you take away? I want to talk about understanding yourself first. Yes. At the end of the day, if you don't have an understanding of who you are, and Robin hit this on the very beginning, she reiterated it, I feel like, multiple times throughout the whole interview. If you don't know who you are, your positives, your negatives, your strengths, your weaknesses, your ability to self-reflect, it, it isn't going to be able to be worked on very well together. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I think that in that, 
knowing yourself and is how she was talking about how you're building the tools too. You're starting to build the toolbox that you need to succeed in relationships as well, right? So you're knowing your triggers, you're having common language that you can use, um, you're talking about uh, the ways that you can speak together and communicate and handle tensions. So I think that is almost all wrapped into it of those tools in the toolbox, right? Yeah, I feel like uh, with that, she gave this line later on that I have a feeling that you're going to use on me sometime. What is it? Hey, Jeff, I'm just trying to call you up right now. I'm not trying to call you up. <laughs> I think if you said that, I'd be like, Ugh. but then I'd be like, okay, let's go. Call me it. up. I like it. Yeah. Knowing like knowing the true, uh, the true person inside and wanting that person to come out, wanting that person to shine and helping them get to their true self, I think is a beautiful thing. So I think the next thing I really liked what they were talking about was trust and this building trust in drips, but losing it in buckets. That was... I don't, I don't know if I've quite heard it in that way, but, and maybe I've heard it before, but that was a really good reminder. And then taking that, not just even with your partnership, but with your parenting, like mm. that is critical. I mean, yeah, so critical. It's, it's very, um, <sighs> it's so true. It makes it makes the small moments important versus the big fun moment, you know, like how he was talking about like the Disney weekend. But I think it just puts so much more emphasis on the little things every day that you're building in to your kids and to your spouse. Yeah, sure. I mean, I also think that it, it, when you make a choice in contrast to your partner, you lose it all. And I think that's the, I think that's the other side of it is like when you, it's so, you so quickly lose trust. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you have to be conscious of that in the choices you're making. And then be able to be honest in that communicating with each other about that trust that you feel is lost. Which leads me to my question. Oh. What do you feel about the death weekend? <laughs> If we change the name, I feel great about it. I really feel like we could just change it to Bucket List Weekend. You start with Bucket List, everything you want for your entire life, and then come down to one year, and you're all in. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Just change the name. Change the name. Bucket List Weekend. That leads me to, Jeff, oh. a question for you. Come on. So based on how you started with success and this whole like discussion about that, and you, you know, could be constantly disappointed. That kind of leads me to the her question about what wall are you putting your ladder on? Oh my goodness, really? Bam. I just brought that. What wall am I putting my ladder on? Right, because this whole book and what that looks like and what that means is like, what are you putting, like, what are you leaning this against? Like, the, the road to success for this book. 
Is it going yeah. into numbers and Amazon top bestseller and that? Or are you leaning it on the wall of relationships, connection, people reading and enjoying like conversation with their partner? Marriage is improving. So here's the problem with that analogy for me. Yeah. It's not measured. Uh, no, everyone on my ladder, the premise of a ladder is that you're trying to climb. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I can move the ladder to whatever wall you want me to. <laughs> and I'm still going to be trying to climb. And I think that is the that's underlying challenge for me is finding contentment outside of a ladder. Climbing the ladder. Yeah. Hmm. You know? Like just being grateful for the moment we're in right now, being grateful for the relationships we have, being grateful that we were that we were able to write a book. That there we were are able so to get a many people. Published. Yeah, there are so many people that have words and things in their minds and they're never given even the opportunity to write their words it's out. So hard mm-hmm. for me to be content. Yes. And I mean, I wrote about this in my first book, more or less, you know, but it's it's something that is a constant challenge. And I think I have a feeling there's a lot of listeners that probably can relate with this. Um, so it's a, it's a constant reminder to go back going, where am I finding my value? Mm-hmm. Now, can I be content without success? What is my view of success? Where do I find contentment? What am I grateful for? That's really good. Well, you guys, I hope that you learned as much as we have. I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. And I think that's another episode of Love or Work. was recorded by our favorite Matt Owen for Soul Graffiti Productions.